0: Well, hi there. Welcome to The Honest Talk. I'm Catherine Clark. And hi, I'm Jen Stewart. Jen, I am really excited about today's guest, Kirsten Hillman, wow, she's, she's the first woman ever to hold the role of Canadian ambassador to the United States, but... She's also
1: played critical roles throughout her career in negotiating major trade agreements for Canada. She's a real powerhouse. Total powerhouse. And right before she was appointed, the pandemic began like literally days before the border closed between the U.S. and Canada. So a total time of volatility with that relationship with Trump in power in the U.S. So it's been an interesting few years for the ambassador uh, to say the least. So really looking forward to the discussion.
0: Okay, well, let's get right to it. Ambassador Kristen Hillman is our guest today on The Honest Talk, and she joins us now. Ambassador, it is so great to chat with you. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. It's great to be here. Ambassador, you've just come off of President Biden's visit to Canada. And, you know, a lot of people see the visit itself and on the media, but what they don't see are the months of planning that actually lead up to a visit like that. What have the past few months been like for you behind the scenes? Thanks, Jennifer. So very busy. Uh In a couple of words, very busy. <laughs>
2: to be honest, by the time the president got off the plane and we were heading out to take him back to the his meet and greet before he went to see the prime minister, we had really set up a lot of things. So at that point, I knew that there was a very, very, very high likelihood that everything would run smoothly. I wouldn't tell you that I felt that way maybe 48 hours before that. We were still working some stuff through. But at that moment, I was quite relaxed and ready to really, and I said this to my team too, I said, you know, that just before going to the airport, we had a meeting on a bunch of things. And I said, let's make sure that we all like stop, take a breath and enjoy these moments because they're hugely impactful. And so many people work so hard to to get us to that point.
1: You are literally in the center of history, and you are the first woman to serve as Canada's ambassador to the U.S., our single largest trading partner. What do you hope, Ambassador, other people, in particular women, take away from knowing that there is now a woman in this role? So I hope and I believe that
2: representation in a role like this demonstrates and tells to others, whether it be women or other you know, other groups of Canadians who have traditionally had less access to some of the most senior roles in, in our society. I hope that what it tells them is that if you do the work, if you have the skills, if you can gain the experiences, sometimes it's the timing is right, but if, if you are working towards an objective, like a position like this, that it is possible. It doesn't mean that it will happen, but I think there's a, a very important uh, rule of demonstration that people can see themselves in other people, you know, not because they're put there because they're a woman or they're a minority or, or they're some other kind of group, but because they have the skills to do it and anyone who has the skills to do it and the experience and the expertise can have some of these important rules.
0: I'd love to talk to you about mentorship because you have talked about the importance of mentoring, both in terms of mentoring that you've received from other women, but also mentorship that, that you're able to provide. And, and you've talked right now about, you know, both the honor of holding this role, but also the fact that you're hoping it, it allows other women and, and underrepresented people to see that they too can achieve something that previously they may have thought was, was unattainable. Can you talk to us about what role mentorship has actually played in your life? It's been huge. It's been uh, very important
2: for me from, I'd say, you know, in different ways. So in my personal life as a kid, I I was raised by my mom. uh, And most of the time I lived with my mom growing up, and most of the time I was growing up, she was single and she was a small business owner and she worked really, really hard. It was not easy. It was often actually really difficult for her. Um, But what I saw from her was somebody who she left a career as a nurse because it wasn't satisfying to her. She took some big chances. She, you know, she took some chances on herself and she, she was able to achieve something that gave her a lot of satisfaction, independence, um, and a sense of accomplishment. That was, I think, very, I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't know it at the time, but thinking back, I know that that has, has had some very significant impact on how I think about
1: how to make choices in my life. You mentioned you're a 10-year-old uh, girl living in, in the Western part of Canada. Take me back to that little girl and if she could say anything to you now, what do you think? Do you think she'd be surprised by your role, happy? What would her reaction be to be the prominence and success that you've gained?
2: Yeah, I think she'd be surprised. Let's be honest. I think she'd be surprised. I think if that little girl wanted to be a ballerina, uh that little girl's dreams did not work out for her um but this is very good too so there's no you know there's there there are different ways to to um uh, fulfill your dreams I don't yeah this is not something that was really uh would have been on my mind back then in any way, but I did have a pretty strong sense of self always um and i and I attribute that, and I say to my mother, but look, my dad is terrific too and and was always very supportive of me and and a lot of my work ethic comes from him as well. So I think that they filled me with love and confidence, right? They, they surrounded me with love, it filled me with confidence. And I don't think I ever thought there were things that I couldn't do. I just don't think I would have conceived of this particular position.
0: How did you end up going from ballerina to lawyer, trade negotiator, ambassador? Because that's that's a different path for sure.
2: <laughs> the ballerina dream was, was a bit squashed because I wasn't good enough. That's just the truth. I was not good enough. I did not have a linear career path from you know high school to university. I, I thought I was going to be a professor. I was kind of interested in becoming a professor. And then I decided I, I didn't like that. I didn't think that was the right thing. So I went to law school. But then when I went to law school, I actually thought I'd be a law professor. But then by the time I ended law school, I'm like, mm, I don't think I want to do that. So I became a commercial litigator for a little while in Montreal, and I liked parts of that. and mostly liked the parts of that when I was doing public policy law, but when I was doing sort of the nitty-gritty of commercial litigation, I didn't really like that. So I went to Ottawa, and I got a job at the Department of Justice in international constitutional law, and that got me a bit on this public service, public policy uh, route, which I remain on today. And I think that this is what I know and this is what I often say when I am mentoring, because I do an awful lot of mentoring here in, in Washington, um, as well as uh, as well as, you know, sort of virtually with young women in particular in different places around the world. And I think the number one thing that is important is, you know, it's important to make plans and it's important to have have a path as you're going down. But it's really important to check in with yourself to make sure that those plans still make sense to you. And especially in your younger years, when you're trying to figure out exactly who you are and what you like and what you don't like, if you blindly continue down the path to becoming a whatever, doctor, engineer, school teacher, whatever it is, and you don't check in to see if you're still happy with that path, then you are going to be unhappy and you are going to waste your own time and
1: you're not going to succeed as well because we all know we do better when we're doing things that we love. How do we change the narrative then? Because you said a few things. You tried a few things you didn't enjoy. You went down a few paths and you had a moment that this wasn't for you. So you redirected. We have the societal narrative that, you know, once you're in high school, you need to know what you want to do. We need to understand that path. How do we be more fluid with especially young people and especially women that, listen, sometimes you're going to try, you're going to fail. And that's actually a really positive thing because it can course correct. I think we have to lead by example. So we have to
2: demonstrate changes and embrace them and say, this is okay. So showing young women and explaining to them different changes that we've made, but also when they make changes or seek to make changes or do something and fail, then I'm not saying we necessarily celebrate it, but we certainly don't you know, see that as a negative. We see that as a natural part of people trying to find their way into something that is right for them. And I think at organizations, you know, leading large organizations, leading large teams, if we're not open to having people come in or move around or leave, if it is not the right thing for them, then we're not going to build strong teams. We're just not. You succeed when you have individuals who are part of your organization who want to be there, who are enthusiastic about being there, who feel like they're contributing, for whom the particular mission, whatever it might be, resonates with them. And they're all swimming in the same direction. And if that's not happening, then it doesn't work for every anyone. Um, so I just think we just have to be open and accepting that people move and change and evolve. And that's good. And we should embrace that.
0: Embracing that and leading by example, I mean, you definitely led by example, but you have also done so in fairly male-dominated arenas when you are working um, and leading trade negotiations. That is certainly a domain largely dominated by men. Um, we had a conversation oh, way back at the beginning of the podcast with with Ailish Campbell, um, the week before she was appointed um, Canada's ambassador to the EU. And she was telling us a story about how um, at trade negotiations, she would often be mistaken as a secretary and she would just have to gently inform people, you know, sorry, I, I can't get your coffee, but I'd be delighted to talk about, you know, item four. And um I just wondered how, what your experience had been and whether you had faced anything similar and how you overcame that and maintained your confidence.
2: Absolutely. I experienced things like that. I was the first um, woman lead negotiator for major negotiations of so the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And then a, obviously a big role in the NAFTA renegotiations. But I also led our entire um, trade negotiating branch. So I was sort of Canada's chief trade negotiator for the whole government. And there are many countries that we would negotiate against where there wouldn't be a single woman on the other side. Um, I had experiences where I was the only woman in the room. Even on our side, we didn't have as many women as we do today. I was never asked to go get coffee, but I I did more than once have sort of a, a, a man sitting beside me, often older than me, um, because I also had some of these jobs fairly young. Um, and the chief negotiator on the other side would look at the man when he was talking instead of looking at me. I mean, that happened more often than I'd like to remember. Um, but here's the thing, it lasts for a while, it lasts for a meeting or two. And then when you clearly are in charge of your delegation, when you're clearly the decision maker, and when you really know what you're doing and do it well, then there is no choice, right? The other side must accept that reality and work with you. Um, and so I would say part of it is just persevering having a team, and I always had this, always, that respected me and, and respected me as their leader. And that is essential. And that takes time. You have to build that. It doesn't just, you know, it's not just given to you. And I would say also that there is something very powerful about representing your country. And so I wasn't there trying to uh, achieve a certain Recognition for myself. It had, doesn't have anything to do with me. I was there representing my country, fighting for what was best for us, trying to, you know, get the best deal I could for Canada. Or when I was a lawyer, represent our side of the story as best I could. And so it wasn't personal to me. And that gives you actually, I think what it did for me anyway, a level of confidence and a detachment from any treatment that was less than acceptable because it didn't matter. I wasn't there to feel good about, you know, being whatever, Kirsten Hillman. I was there as Canada, representing Canada as Canada's voice,
0: and I wasn't going to let Canada down. You and your husband have both had very busy careers. Uh, You have traveled a lot personally with your career. It's taken you overseas to live at one point. Could you talk to us about the importance of teamwork in parenting? Because a lot of our um, listeners still struggle with how they, and Jen and I are careful about using the word balance, but how they manage both career, family, and the division of labor within their homes so that both partners can be effective professionals and effective parents. How did you go about this? The first and most
2: important
0: uh, fact is that my
2: husband and I, consciously way back when, before we had kids, I mean, we consciously talked about how we would run our family, right? And how we would manage our careers and family life and checked in on that throughout our entire marriage. And so there was not an opportunity for there to be expectations that were set that weren't met because we were never not checking in and making sure it was still working um i have a remarkable husband and i would not be doing what i'm doing today if he wasn't my husband that is a fact um his support in allowing us to have a truly co-parenting relationship uh, you know and it's not co-parenting in every moment sometimes it was more me sometimes it was more him but that he took responsibility for that as much as i did is why we have both been able to do what we've done. And uh, I, I say this often to women in particular, it's a really important decision who you decide to spend your life with if, or you know decide not to spend your life with anyone, whatever your decision is, but those are, those are very important decisions. I think that for me, I had moments where I was the, very much the parent. You know, When my first son was born, I took eight months of maternity leave. When my second son was born, I took two years off. And at the time, my colleague said to me, well, that's it. You know, you've kind of put yourself on a different track. Your career is going to certainly not, you know, it'll stall because I was a lawyer at the time. Because you won't seem to be as as sort of hungry as the next person. That didn't happen. Um, And actually, I think that time that I spent with my sons was really important. Had I gone back earlier, I think I would have, I wasn't ready. I wouldn't have been happy. I would have resented it. And I, but I was willing actually to have my career. If the consequence was going to be my career would slow down or go in a different direction, I was okay with that because at that time it was the right decision for me. And when we moved to Geneva later on and I had a much more, um, you know, I had a much quieter career for about four years. Again, people said, Oh, well, you're not, you know, sort of taking yourself off of a particular track. And it, I was okay with that because. It was probably the most exciting time of our family life, you know, in the whole history of our life together before our kids left home. It was amazing. We traveled and they learned different languages and we met all sorts of wonderful people. So this kind of gets back to what I was saying earlier. I think it's good to have plans, but it's also really important just to make the decisions that make sense for you at the time. And so there were there were several periods within our family life when our children were young and at home that I was doing more of the parenting and then there were times when my husband was doing more of the parenting and we both were very much on the same page that there would be different times. So it's not perfect. Doesn't mean that it was always perfect. It doesn't mean I didn't really miss my kids sometimes, but, um, all in all,
0: uh, I think it really worked out well for, for all four of us. I just really appreciate that you were willing to, to share the, um, you know, the good and the bad and and the struggles. Because I think a lot of times that women just forget that even if you're a a remarkable professional, you're still a human being. And often we hide the human elements and that doesn't make it easier for anyone else trying to achieve success.
2: Well, and I'll be honest with you. I don't think, look, everybody's different. And who am I to speak for anyone else? So I'll just speak for myself. It would be impossible for me to do anything that I do without, being myself, like it just—it's impossible. It's too much energy. It would take too much energy, right, to try and fit yourself into a different mold than than your own mold. When I was a started as a lawyer in Montreal, it was you know still pretty conservative, and I was faced with images from mostly the male partners of what we were meant to be like, and it didn't work for me. Like it just didn't work for me, and. And part of it was the content of the law that I was practicing. But part of it was, you know, you can't wear a pantsuit to work. I swear to God. And I'm not that old. Like, I mean, you know, I'm 55, so I'm not that old. And it was just you know, coming from where I had come from with really strong women in my life and really strong role models. I just thought this is not going to work for me. <laughs> like, I have to be able to be myself or what's the point, right? What's the point if you can't be yourself? So, um Yeah. And I, I believe women are everyone, but I believe women are stronger if they are authentic. What's authentic to me is different than what's authentic to you. But just like men can come in all different kinds of, you know, styles, uh, so can we and so we should. And, and I think that that is, is, it's something I always try to impress upon with, with young people, young women in particular. And also, as I said it probably like three times in this podcast, but. Got to be true to yourself. You have got to do what makes you happy, and if stops making you happy, and I mean not you know just one bad day at work, but you really recognize that it, you, this is not something that is fulfilling you. You got to change. You got to do it because what you only have one life, right? And we've got to we've
0: got to live it the best we can. Ties into what you said about choosing your partner carefully.
1: You just nailed it. That's exactly it. Like as, as women, it doesn't even matter your gender. You just you only have so much energy to give to the things that matter to you. And to absolve some of that energy and trying to fit into a mold or please people, you're right. Like, who has time for that? Ambassador Hillman? this has just been such a lovely and authentic
0: conversation. And I think it's important for women to hear from other women who really have achieved professional success the way that you have, um, that they have had the ups and downs and that there have been choices that were not easy. And uh, I just really want to thank you for your honesty and your candor today. Jen and I have been thrilled to have the opportunity to chat with you.
2: Well, it's been really great to talk to uh, both of you, too. And I must say, I'm a big fan of your podcast. So thank you for doing it. And thank you for, uh, you know, introducing me to a lot of women, and a lot of Canadian women in particular,
0: through your podcast. It's really a pleasure to, to listen. That's a wrap and thank you to our wonderful
1: listeners across Canada
0: and around the world for joining us.
1: If you'd like to listen to previous episodes, you can subscribe to The Honest Talk wherever you get your podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our website, thehonesttalk.ca. Finally, a big thank you to
0: our sponsor, RBC,
1: which offers
0: digital-first solutions, advice, and services that go beyond banking to help you realize your true potential. And that's what this podcast is all about. You can find more info
1: at rbc.com slash business. But for now, stay healthy and stay safe. And we truly look forward to having you back soon for more of The Honest Talk.